Hi, I'm Adam Spees. I'm John Spees. And welcome back to the Blast From Our Past podcast, where we discuss nostalgic movies from the past and really kind of rewatch them and see if they hold up or not and how we feel about them in general. We also discuss old TV shows that we watched when we were kids, as well as doing casting of either things that we watched before and how we would want to see them recast in today's light or if they were never had a show or something and something that we love that we want to see cast Uh, like today we are going to cast alpha flight which is a classic canadian superhero team from the marvel universe we are going to watch and talk about the sandlot from 1993 and we are going to discuss ducktales the animated show that went from 1987 to 1990. Which is actually very poignant because a new series of DuckTales is coming out next month. Oh, really? Yes. Wow, that is not long. That's interesting. So let's dive right into The Sandlot. Like I said, this movie came out in 1993. Uh, This was right in the prime. I think I was around... Eight years old, seven or eight when this one came out. Like, perfect. I also, I played Little League Baseball, as did John. So this was a movie that, like, I think we could connect with as kids because we just, this was right when we were playing baseball. It was kind of like that middle class family, you know, love of sports. It was right where we were. I was, I would have been 12 at the time, loving playing Little League. And, you know, the movie just spoke to us. I mean, you don't have to like baseball to appreciate the movie, but being a fan of baseball, it just made it a little bit better, I think. So the movie opens up, we get kind of the opening credits with this older guy kind of walking down into a, in a stadium. And of course, we all know watching it again, that's Smalls, big Smalls, I guess, if you will, older Smalls, <laughs> who apparently works in the baseball industry. And we have a narration about Babe Ruth and how he is the greatest player and how he called his shot famously, which kind of sets us up down the line of everything is about Babe Ruth in this movie. So now we kind of get into flashback. It's in the early 60s. I think 1962 is when this one is set. Our first person that we see in the 1960s is Benny the Jet Rodriguez, who we immediately like. He's a good-looking kid. He's like our obvious hero. And the first thing that he does is he gets out of a pickle. And that is something that we will see over and over again, is this kid getting himself into pickles and getting out. And how fast he is, because that is kind of what sets up yes. what happens later, actually several times later in the movie, yeah. that he, he uses his speed you know, as a runner to get, out, get himself out of pickles, in, in this case, uh, the first one being just uh, almost caught stealing, stuck between two players. Mm-hmm. Yep. Early on, we get a lot of narration from Smalls. We get a lot of just kind of that exposition, which is all fine. Uh, and we meet Dennis Leary, who is the stepdad, because Smalls is real father passed away and we see how much of a baseball nut Dennis Leary is and we see him placing this baseball with a signature on it that says Babe Ruth and so all of us we just heard how great of a person he was honestly everybody would know how great Babe Ruth is and who he is Smalls is the only person ever in history to not know who Babe Ruth is apparently (laughs) but yeah so this kind of just sets up all this baseball nut kind of thing and the baseball that sets the premise for the biggest story of this movie and I wonder though going back to this I wonder how important do you think it was important in the story that Dennis Leary was the stepdad and not the dad? Yeah, I didn't realize the point of that thinking about it. Yeah, rewatching it like why he needed to be the stepdad? I mean, he's trying to get his approval mm-hmm. being I guess kind of the new person in the family. To me, you could almost do the same thing with with a father. Yeah, absolutely. You want to be, you know, you're a nerd which is established pretty quickly that that uh, Smalls is a nerd. He has these erector sets. You know, he's a very smart kid, but he's not very athletic. And so just trying to get his affections towards his biological father is something that could have worked probably just as well, but maybe the tying it into... I guess it doesn't hurt the story. No, I just thought it didn't... I just thought it was weird that it should be a stepdad, and I don't really think it mattered. Yeah. So, yes, so we see uh, Smalls is a bit of an outsider. He has that huge ass hat. Where the hell did he get that? That bill on that hat is insane. I have never seen a hat like that before or since. 
Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, I hated it, and I, I'm glad he didn't have it on, except for the beginning and the end of the movie. <laughs> I don't know if that's, that was actually a fashion at the time or what, but it definitely looked out of place. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but it kind of helped establish him more of that he's this nerd who just doesn't quite fit in mm-hmm. so we kind of narrate our way already into he's trying to make friends his mom wants him to make friends uh, and he's having trouble so he kind of follows these cool kids around to the baseball diamond to their sandlot so he gets a ball hit towards him he can't catch it he keeps telling himself don't be a goofus don't be a goofus he's a nervous nervous little wreck right <laughs> he's now. a nervous wreck for sure yes and also because he as he followed them to the sandlot and now he's just kind of was in the background waiting for him with his silly mitt and his stupid hat he was about to throw the ball he's get to get the ball and throw it back to him and we hear the first rumblings of the beast which <laughs> is something i'm gonna actually complain about later but i will when we get to that okay okay because he hears the rumbling then he picks up the ball and then attempts to throw it yeah and yeah the, attempts is a good the, nice the, way to put it the first thing you notice is he's unsure of where to put each foot yes like it takes him a long time just to get his hand up to throw the ball because he's not quite sure what to do with his body i don't even know what the term the correct <laughs> term would be but he definitely doesn't throw it no uh the actor did a good job at making it he I, he was very believable at uh seeming like he didn't know how to throw a baseball at mm-hmm. all absolutely yeah, it looked very awkward so yeah we kind of come back we kind of go back and forth between the Sandlot and their house every now, uh, early on in the movie, just to kind of establish, oh, he wants to try and be friends with this group. Unless I'm wrong, after this first encounter at the at the actual lot, when he's going home, isn't this when Benny kind of comes up to him? And... It's not till his second time going to the, to the Sandlot. Oh, that's right, because Benny comes up and urges him to come to the lot. Exactly. Okay, I'm getting ahead of he myself. He goes to the lot, and then he comes back home, and then because he breaks the mitt in this very next scene ah, yes. where Dennis Leary tries to teach him to play catch, which I want to say Dennis Leary is a terrible teacher in this movie. <laughs> all, he, all he kept saying was, keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. Move your glove with the ball. He didn't like start off with some light tossing, some granny kind of throws or anything mm-hmm. that you feel like you would teach. He just immediately started throwing fastballs to the kid. That's uh, like toss him in the water to teach him how to swim. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. And so <laughs> after a couple bad catches and, you know, bad not even throws, I like how Smalls just would take the ball and run it back run it to Dennis to Leary. That's, that was funny. And we see that again afterwards. But then Dennis Leary throws a fastball pretty much right to his face and boom smalls gets a black eye but he caught the ball so <laughs> slight improvement but he busts his mitt and he's all sad and has this black eye pretty funny little scene which dennis leary insists he put a stake over yes gets it yeah very manly you know yeah. that's such like a manly stepdaddy kind of thing to do no no we're not gonna put ice let me slap this meat on your face waste a good steak and the my i don't know I, and this being someone who who cooks <laughs> But the funniest line in that scene was the mother, played by Karen Allen, who is probably most well-known for... For Raiders of the Lost Ark? Raiders of the Lost Ark, playing um, Marion Ravenwood. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> I was half a second away from saying, Crystal Skull? <laughs> no. The Which first is in one. that, too. <laughs> yes, but we don't talk about that. No. Um, she has a little line when he puts the steak on there. She just kind of says very softly that's our dinner <laughs> it's, it's little things like that that always kind of get me you know, the more the more you watch the scene and this movie is ingrained in my head because for about three months straight my children would watch this in the car oh i have a little video you know that comes down from the ceiling of my my car and the kids would want to watch it and i would have to listen to it because i can't listen to anything while they're they're watching the video and so i would have to listen to this movie every day for about three months and so, you know, I, I put it in there because I wanted to get I wanted to get them to watch it, and they enjoyed it. But then I, it was sort of like a double edged sword in that I was forced to listen to it, you know, every day for about three months before I finally just pulled the plug and said, "We need to pick something else." Like all children, once they find one movie or show they like, it's nonstop over and over again. Absolutely. So once. Uh Smalls has his busted mitt and his busted eye. Then Benny comes and reaches out to him and says, like, hey, we need a ninth man. You can be that. Come join us. Smalls, no, I can't do it. I have a busted mitt. Benny has, no, I got an extra glove. And then we cut to seeing all the rest of the other guys kind of hanging out at the soda shop or something. And Ham does his perfect impression of the great Bambino. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the Green Bambino! 
On the Great Bambino! What? what? On the Great Bambino! Oh. Who's that? That's where we first see their absolute admiration and love for Babe Ruth. All things Babe Ruth. Yes, exactly. And we got that great little scene where it's just like cut to... You never heard of Salt in a Swat? The Titan of Terror. The Colossus of Clout? The Colossus of Clout. The King of Crash, man. All those nicknames come rolling off. Uh, a lot of fun. And then Benny introduces them all, which a scene I think is really fun is... He calls each other his name, and they spit, just like yep. a good baseball player would. <laughs> spit, and, <laughs> spit yeah, on the you're, ground. You're meeting the new kid. You have to intimidate him a little bit. You're going to spit. And to be sure, it's the weakest-looking spitting I've ever, yeah. <laughs> I've ever seen. But when you're 9, 10, 11 years old, you think you're, you think you're tough. Yes. And here we get, I think, one of the first very quotable lines. There are a lot of quotable lines yeah, in this there movie. Are. And here's where Squints calls uh, Smalls an L7 weenie, and I love that line. I would say uh, <laughs> like that to, to, to people as a kid, it was great. He's an L7 weenie. <laughs> it wasn't until I was older when I realized what that was, L7 just being square uh, yes. when you put it together, yeah. <laughs> um, which is such a 50s and 60s term. Definitely. And it was, yeah, so it definitely wasn't until I was older before, where I, I really understood what that phrase meant. So we then get back to the Sandlot for a second time. And, oh, it's not looking good already. It's uh, kind of repeat from the day before. It's not looking good. You know, he doesn't catch a ball. He, again, runs it, he runs it up to Kenny, who is the pitcher, instead of throwing it back. And they're just in shock and awe. And so Benny was like, all right, let me try and help you out here, kid. And mm-hmm. so he puts him out in the field. And he's like, all right, I'll just take care of this. Just stick your glove out. And Benny being the ever- cool kid that he is hits a ball straight into his mitt benny he's one of those characters where you can't not like him because he's not only is he cool but he's nice yeah he's a cool kid because everyone respects him and as you find out later even the people who don't like them respect him but he's still super nice now i'm gonna take this opportunity just to make this statement squints is an asshole <laughs> he's a complete asshole he complains throughout the whole yeah. <laughs> movie he's a little prick well yeah he's a perv he's a prick yes. he's a dick but you, you learn to love him after this later which we all the scenes we all know yes um but yeah you're you're dead on benny like everybody respects him everybody loves him and we can't not love him as the other because he is super cool he's super like athletic and he is so nice to Smalls when everyone else is an asshole to him, mm-hmm. he's going to give him a chance. Yeah. We're still, we had that heroic moment where Benny hit, or where Smalls catches the ball and then he kind of uses Benny's advice to throw it in. Uh, and so, okay, sweet. The nerdiness is kind of done. It's been smoothed over. And so now we can play some baseball. And now all of a sudden he can play normal. <laughs> yes, he's perfect at everything. He knows positioning. He knows, <laughs> yeah, uh, probably how to slide and everything. Yeah, that's, that's. A little bit BS, but we also see the first thumbs up between mm-hmm. Benny and Smalls from that, which comes back later as well. Uh, and we also get some more beast set up. Same, same kind of thing where Ham hits the ball over the fence and they're like, that's it. They can't get it. Smalls doesn't know this. He's like, all right, I'm going to go for it. And then the entire group runs after him, pulls him down and tells him about the beast. But here's the here's the issue I had with the previous scene. The first time he's there, he hears something back there. Yeah. He knows there's something back there because it scares him. Because this kid's obviously very skittish. Mm-hmm. And it's all it's like all of a sudden he's forgotten that there was obviously something back there that was making noise. And oh, hi guys, I'll go get it. And just turns to yeah. run. <laughs> that part didn't make any sense. It made no sense yeah. to introduce the beast that early in that previous scene mm-hmm. if you're gonna have this scene that explains everything fair enough it's just just some growling but yeah i mean it, it's uh maybe unnecessary early on well it just you know because they set it up that there's obviously something there and he's obviously scared mm-hmm. of whatever's making the noise but he's got an and he's either momentarily forgot that there was something back there or i don't know what that yeah. that little that little inconsistency yeah. kind of bothers me a little bit but okay. I, I know it's yeah. a little nitpicky <laughs> yeah exactly <clears throat> But this it's, is it's from a kid's movie. Yes. <laughs> all right. But all right. So now he heals about the beast and then 
they want to tell him all about it, so they have a camp out, which is probably one of the best scenes in the movie with definitely some of the best lines. Some of the most quotable. We get we get to the camp out. There is just them in a, a treehouse sleeping over at Squince's place, I think. And we start off with s'mores. Hey, you want a s'more? S'more what? No, no, you want a s'more. I haven't had anything yet. So how can I have some more of nothing? You're killing me, Smalls. Great line about s'mores. Uh, one, this is the very first time you hear "You're killing me, Smalls," which is the most quotable line in this entire movie. Um, and he tells you about how to make a s'more. First, you take the gram. You stick the chocolate on the gram. Then you roast the mallow. When the mallow's flaming, you stick it on the chocolate. Then you cover it with the other end. Yeah, me too. Then you scuff. The way he does it is a lot of fun. It's it's a whole great little line. Uh, so just that whole scene is perfect right there. Yeah, and I know it is kind of a cliche that it's the fat kid talking oh, about yeah. food. <laughs> but it is it is kind of a cute little because I, I mean really it could be anyone mm-hmm. doing this, but just it's sort of. It's good because it's his personality. Yeah. The way that Ham's personality is, he's just in shock and awe all the time. And he's almost like he's like on the verge of a temper, but he never quite gets there. Yeah, he's definitely uh, surprised that people don't know as much about things as he does. Right. So from there, we get to the legend of the beast brought to you by Squints. So this is our fake flashback uh, in black and white, it's a childish story. Obviously BS to anyone adult who's watching it, but... Exactly, exactly. I mean, that's what it's meant to be, though. It's meant to be right. kind of seen through the eyes of a child. Uh, you know, he says that the beast has eaten 173... First he says, the beast has eaten 120... No, 173 guys. Like, it's just this thing to kind of prop up the legend of the beast. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's ridiculous. It's just a camp story. Uh, but it's cute. Right. The thing that's the worst, and I and I know it's meant to be the worst, is the beast puppet is so awful. <laughs> it's absolutely awful. But I'm very certain that they did that on purpose. I think that was also to just heighten the beast. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of why every time you also see it, you're kind of, the way I picture it, you're kind of seeing it through the eyes of the children. And it's larger than life. It's right. not even human. It's a monster. And so that's why it's a puppet until the scene later on. Right. I want to add something about that campout scene. I will love it forever. 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 So another, like, I can't count how many times I would say forever like that uh, after watching this movie. That is probably the second most quoted line in the entire movie. Mm -hmm. The two of them are right next to each other. You're killing me smalls and forever. I still say that to my elementary school students and they all know it. So this movie obviously is still still holds up. But yeah, that's why I think that that treehouse camp out scene is, uh, is such a good one because you get such quotable lines from it. After that, we get our first glimpse at Wendy Peppercorn. Ooh, Wendy Peppercorn. <laughs> oh, yeah. Also, besides that, this movie has such a great soundtrack. Not a great score like some of the others and whatnot. Right. The soundtrack for this movie, I mean, because they use just tons of great classic 50s, early 60s songs. Yes. That's, I think, what really kind of helped this movie do so well is because, you know, one, it's a it's a period piece set in the 60s, so you could use that stuff, and it just fits so well. But in this scene where we meet Wendy Peffercorn, we also just see what a creep Squince is. <laughs> like, he is a pervy little guy. <laughs> Even to where I didn't, I didn't notice, you know, you get some lines... Uh, where Yeah Yeah was talking about, said, oh, Squints was just perving on a dish, which yeah. as a kid, I sure as hell didn't understand that or it just didn't, it went right over my head. Right. Well, because they're, they're using those early 60s, late 50s mannerisms and speech patterns and that sort of thing. And, and it it is, it's definitely not until you're older where you realize, kind of realize what's going on mm-hmm. because they're, they are using language that nobody uses anymore. Yeah. So we immediately go from meeting the love of his life, of Squints' life. 
back to the ball field where it is just too hot to play. They can't do it. It's Southern California in the summer. I can attest it's too damn hot to play baseball sometimes. And so instead, they go to the pool. And guess who is the lifeguard? Of course, Wendy Peppercorn. And why else would you go to the pool? Because you get her in her lifeguard suit. (laughs) And yeah. And so apparently squints has had enough of watching her oiling and lathering and lathering and oiling (laughs) that it's time for him to do something so he jumps into the deep end of the damn pool and he doesn't know how to swim and she's the lifeguard so he has to rescue him and she gets him up starts doing cpr you know us as the first time you watch it you're like what the hell's going on what what's he doing like as a kid i was like what the heck and then as she's giving CPR in between breaths, he opens his eyes and gives the creepiest smile. Yes, it is the creepiest smile. That sort of kind of the way his like his kind of lips curl mm-hmm. and that just kind of like his eyes kind of squint almost a little bit. When the next time she's on a breath, he holds her head down and goes in for his kiss. I'm assuming he was slipping her tongue at that point. Uh, <laughs> now I think that I don't know if that, as a kid I didn't realize that, but I'm pretty sure that's what he was doing. This magic moment. So different and so new. The song This Magic Moment, I believe by the Drifters, yes. comes up. Again, great, great song choice. Great, great choices and throughout the whole thing and kind of repopularized some stuff. Probably taught me some of that as a kid that I wouldn't have known. I think this comes in later when the other baseball team comes in to confront them. But um, oh, yeah. the, uh, the song Green Onions by Booker T and the MGs, uh, the great instrumental hit. That's still something whenever anyone hears it. I've, again, I've played it for my students, you know, my fourth and fifth graders, and that's what they that's where they know it from. It's like, oh, I like this song. It's in the Sandlot. Then, you know, most of them associate any song they've heard from movies they've seen. So having a really good soundtrack really could kind of help you know, bring the history in. If I had to pick one song from this, you know, even though they're all there were big hits already, but like if there's any of them from here I associate the most with Sandlot, it probably is Green Onions. Yeah, I would agree. I would definitely agree. So Squince's plan goes off without a hitch. I love the narration here where he says uh, that Squints is like pretty much now a man. He kissed a woman. He kissed her long and good. <laughs> I just <laughs> love that line. And honestly, you know, in today's society, you know, he uh, it's that's pretty much sexual assault. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But it's okay because he's a kid and right. she smiles at the end. <laughs> right. It's adorable when you're a kid. It's a felony when you're an adult. <laughs> yes, exactly. So after the pool scene and the sexual assault scene, we have <laughs> we have the 4th of July night game, which, again, more really good music. You have Ray Charles doing, I think it's America the Beautiful. America! A lot of these scenes are just to get great songs moving. Like, I didn't really care about that scene at all. It was just some fireworks going, but the song is what made it. Yeah. And then from there, we go into Green Onions, where we get the pretty much the anti-Sandlot team coming in to call out and and battle. It's kind of like, it's the rich kids' teams. The the kids from the rich side of town, they have the matching uniforms. They play on a real diamond. Which I would also say, it seems like Benny, Benny seems like he's pretty rich. He had extra glove. He had an extra hat. At one point, I think at at the fair that we'll get to later, he says, tonight's on me, guys. That's true. But which makes him even cooler because he's not entitled and he's not an asshole. He may have money, but he's just, he's got it all. Yeah. So, but yes, so the the rich kids come into play. They respect Benny. They kind of throw that out there that no one else can play. And I'm not I just want to throw I I don't I don't remember the kid's name who played like the main bad kid, but he did a great job. Yeah. He had a very small scene, but he was awesome. He definitely he made the most out of what little screen time he had. Absolutely. The second you see him start talking, you just like I, I don't like this kid. I believe he is a rich snob. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I believe he's, he's exactly what he's supposed to extremely be. Extremely waspy looking kind of kid. And from that, we get into, well, I think, probably one of the other best scenes in the movie where you get another great, great line where they have the name calling contest. Watch it, jerk. Shut up, idiot. Moron. Scab eater. Butt sniffer. Yeah. Puss licker. Fart smeller. Yeah. <laughs> 
You eat dog crap for breakfast, geek. You mixed your weeds with your mama's toe jam. Yeah! You bob for apples in the toilet, and you like it. You play ball like a girl. Which, you know, at that time when you're a young boy playing baseball, it's the worst yes. comment you could make about somebody. How dare you say I play like a girl? Taking his manhood into account and insulting it. And when the rest of the insults, which are probably way worse, don't mean anything. Uh, what I love is the the main bad guy when he's basically saying, OK, we'll play. His voice cracks. And it's just it's perfect. Yeah. At the end, you, yeah. you know that Ham has won. Tomorrow. Noon. At our field. Tomorrow? Noon? <laughs> our field. And it's just like, yeah, exactly. You knew Ham won. Wonderful. So we cut to that game, and the entire like first half of that game is all about Ham. It's all about him being a dick to the other players. <laughs> if my dog was as ugly as you, I'd shave his butt and tell him to walk backwards. They're all striking out, and he's kind of using his mouth. And I can say, I when I played Little League, I remember playing against a team that had a catcher that did that. <laughs> and he would sit there, and he would just talk to you, and he would try to get you to laugh. And I would strike out every time because he was <laughs> funny. And I would look at the ump like, are you going to do anything? And the ump would just kind of look at me like, He's not breaking the rule, which I'm sure he probably was breaking the rule, but the ump didn't care. Uh, yeah, I'm sure there were um, poor sport rules uh, in Little League that, yeah. The ump was probably just like, the kid is Little League, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, they kind of keep playing the game, and they just, they trounce over the rich kids. That's kind of the end of it. You really, you know, that you don't get the rich kids for very much. They're kind of in and out. There's kind of a lot of that in this movie. Yeah, exactly. There's just, you know, we, we jump into one thing, and then we're on to the next. And here we are onto the fair, the little carnival that's happening. And God, I love this next scene too. <laughs> we get our next encounter of You're Killing Me Smalls when he was talking about the chew, basically, of what is chew. Uh, it's chewing tobacco. And obviously, those kids don't know how to properly do chew because <laughs> I think they were swallowing it. And right. they were, yeah, it was quite gross. Yeah. But again, great use of songs because tequila. Uh, that one that most people associate with Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Great, perfect song here where they're on like the spinning machine. And I would say it all ends up in probably the second best puking scene from a kid's movie. I'm going to guess what the first one was, although I don't know if it's a kid's movie, but I'm I'm, I'm going to bet that you're going to say number one was Stand By Me. Without question. Okay. <laughs> lard ass, lard ass. <laughs> Fucking, I hope we get to that movie you will eventually. Have to, yes. We have a long list of movies to get to, but yeah, hopefully we can get to that. Not necessarily a kid's movie, but it kind of is. Yeah. Because I watched it as a kid, and it's about kids. Yeah, and that is, yes, Lardass is the best puking scene, the most ridiculous puking scene of any kid's movie. <laughs> but this one is a good, good strong second where they are spinning around and just puking everywhere. Yeah, it's disgusting. <laughs> and the next scene after that is we're basically setting up the main premise of the film. Benny hits a ball that exploded out of its leather, which was really kind of cool. Uh, shock and awe. Mm -hmm. If I was a kid and I saw that happen, I'd probably think that person was a god, whoever hit right. that. Well, and they even say, you know, that Benny's upset because it just means he can't play. And that's obviously yeah. all he wants to do is play baseball. That's all he wants to do. Um, however he can do it that's you know he probably didn't care that smalls couldn't play when he invited him he just wanted to be able to have nine people on a team mm -hmm. he'll just teach him how to play he just needs the bodies so that he can play and that's what he wants and the, the fact that he you know basically explodes this ball and of course to everyone else they even say this is the coolest thing i've ever seen you know why would you be upset yeah, he just wants to play and so smalls thinking he's gonna, he'll be the hero he knows where a ball is guess what the ball that we saw at the beginning of the movie mm -hmm. that happens to be signed by someone. Smalls has no idea who that is, but that's probably not anybody important. He'll yeah. just get it back to him later. And they start playing with the ball. None of the guys notice. And then... Yeah, which I thought that was weird that none of them looked... I mean, I yeah. guess I guess it does. Because it happens pretty fast. Yeah. That uh, he comes back and he says, your ball, you're up. So he gets the bat right away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so they probably don't look at it just to go. But And of course, right away, he hits an awesome home run way to go kid uh he's feeling really great until he actually hits it over the fence into the beast's lair where he knows he's never getting it back and he starts rounding the bases and then he basically 
keeps going without rounding the bases anymore. And, and I, I do like the way that the shot went where you hit it and the, it looks as if the ball is coming towards you and then it rotates up to reveal Babe Ruth across it yeah, as absolutely. it's going over the fence. So he's freaking out. The kids don't know why. And he was just saying, oh, it was my stepdad's. He had some woman signed it. Baby. Baby Ruth. <laughs> Boom, it clicks. <laughs> Babe Ruth. The kids freak out. They run to the fence. And we see the beast with his big fake puppet claw <laughs> grabs it and brings it back in. And finally Smalls is like, yeah, yeah, you keep telling me that. Who is she? What? Love that line. And then they start going on. Okay. The Colossus of Clout, the Great Bambino, uh, and it finally clicks that it's the same guy. So then they uh, they scrounge up by a fake ball to trick his, trick his mom, who hilariously knows exactly who Babe Ruth is, mm-hmm. uh, which just kind of like makes Smalls feels a little bit more like shit. <laughs> <laughs> and then they start their plans on how are they going to get it back. I like, you know, they, they started, as they called it out, a little bit primitive, uh, and then work higher up first it's a stick then it's basically like a long piece of metal with a pot on it yeah and then they go into vacuum suction which is ridiculous that all of those end up exploding after the beast pinches the the pipe shut timmy walks out covered in dust i love the way he shakes his hair Mm -hmm. and it's just the vacuum dust everywhere and something that is kind of we we skimmed over it a little bit but Mm -hmm. i think it's smalls who suggests that they just go over and ask yes yes the guy to to get it for him and it's uh, this whole thing would have been avoided if squints wasn't such a jerk (laughs) i was like no you can't do that he's the meanest you know that obviously this legend has built itself up so much that they you can't ignore it that this this guy has got to be a horrible guy and you can't uh you can't go do it yeah of course uh so yes absolutely small is the one who who comes up with that but they don't want to do it uh or squints the dick says no (laughs) squints the dick after the vacuum fails they decide to put yeah yeah in a harness and put them out, which I thought was the dumbest idea of them all. Why would they think that was better if if the beast is like eating all of their other stuff? Mm-hmm. Let's put a human person to get destroyed. Right. That was just the dumbest idea, in my opinion. Uh, also, what pisses me off <laughs> is even though he was scared and he was face to face with the beast and they pull him up and he drops the ball. How the fuck do you drop the ball? Like, right. that's your main reason. I don't care how scared you are. You're... When you're scared, you clinch up. Right. You don't just let go. And right. so that always pissed me off as to why did that chump drop the ball? <laughs> well, because then we wouldn't have the rest of the movie. It would be over. <laughs> yeah, then, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Because kids movie. <laughs> so after that, we get probably the coolest plan, which is a throwback to Smalls's erector sets. And he pulls together all the erector sets he's ever had and basically creates a catapult robot that looked good enough for BattleBots back in <laughs> <laughs> which was a show I loved. I never got into it, but uh, oh, I do remember it. Man, it was cool. Long story short on that one, basically, the Erector set fails as well, and they all kind of go home to sleep on it. And in sleeping on it, Benny has a dream, the Babe Ruth dream. You have that great, another really good line. Remember, kid? There's heroes and there's legends. Heroes get remembered, but legends never die. So he basically, Babe Ruth is telling Benny to become a legend and pickle the beast. I like the little thing as he's getting ready to leave. He, he sees the Hank Aaron rookie card. Oh, yes. As a, Can I keep this? Just something about it. Yeah, exactly. Which, as we all know, he Hank Aaron beat. Babers home run record, who is then beaten by Barry Bonds. Yeah. And there's a whole debate over all of that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And for us, we're both Braves fans. You are a bigger Braves fan than I am. Yes. But we grew up in that area. And so we we have a, a love for, I would say I have a love for Hank Aaron significantly yeah. more than Babe Ruth. <laughs> yes. Oh, I would agree. I am much more of a, a Hank Aaron fan than yeah. I am a Babe Ruth fan. So now that Benny is going to pickle the beast, he buys PF players, which is also why I think he's a pretty rich kid. He just goes and buys like the best shoes of all time. Was it PF Flyers? Yep. He's going to go get his sweet shoes, and then he goes, jumps the fence 
to to grab the ball. And here is where we finally see the actual beast. Right. All of the beasts before this were just a very hideous puppet. Um, but what I kind of liked about that, it was up until then, it was just the beast was this over the top in a kid's eye right monster mythical figure almost yes exactly and so now we're finally face to face with it you know on a human level if you will not with yeah yeah in a weird harness thing but benny just benny by himself just the beast by himself and he's still a pretty damn big scary dog yes absolutely <laughs> we're gonna get the pickle the best pickle this is i think our third pickle of the movie which is how movies work the first one benny got out of the second one benny got out of later and then now here is the biggest pickle and it starts just a great chase scene again with another great song wipeout Mm -hmm. that is going underneath it it's just ridiculous they run all the way through town i think it's still fun i I really like that scene and the, the only thing that is a little bit unrealistic because you do see you know now that you've actually seen what the dog looks like is when Benny hops the fence to jump back over. The dog just runs right through it. Oh, yes. <laughs> that part did seem a little bit unrealistic to me, but yeah. it did yeah, go, it did sort of, it kind of goes with the myth. Yeah, goes with the myth, but it that then sets up the entire fence dropping on the beast. Yes, it does. And which then puts up another heroic moment. Smalls jumps immediately over to save it. It's just a dog. Mm-hmm. It's just, it may be a beast, but like now it's kind of been more humanized to an extent because it's a real thing and not mm-hmm. the big fake monster. And, you know, he wants to save it. He asks for people to help. Benny's the next person who, you know, who is first hesitant, but, you know, being the good guy that he is. Yeah. He goes, helps, picks up the fence, uh, and then the rest of the guys do. And the beast comes free, and it's no longer a beast, but it's a nice, sweet dog. Yeah, and it licks Smalls' Immediately face. licks him in the face. Immediately, that means we love the beast as an audience. And so they take the dog back to its owner's house. Who opens the door but a blind Darth Vader? <laughs> <laughs> But I love James Earl Jones in this role. Um, it's a small role, but it meant it just meant a lot to me as a kid. I don't know why. Yeah. Well, it's it, he's so good in everything. It's it's you know he he could come out as anything, and he'd probably be good at it. He does very well of sort of playing the the crotchety old man mm-hmm. a little bit at first. Which yeah. if if you've ever seen another baseball movie, Field of Dreams, he also kind of when you first see him. Um, in that he is sort of that as well. He's sort of a crotchety old man, but not as not as sweet as this guy. And when everything comes out in, in understanding, being that he could have just gotten it for them. And yes, I love it. the way his the way he delivers that too. He's like, you could have just knocked on the door. I'd have gotten it for you. It's like, <laughs> damn it, Squints, and then they all hit him. And like, then they all hit him. And then he laughs. Yes, he's a good guy. So it just shows he's a good guy. Just a little wary of the world, I'm sure. So he brings in Smalls and Benny, and they start talking a little bit baseball. He shows them some of their memorabilia. He talks about how he went blind, getting a fastball to the face, basically. There's a picture of him playing with Babe Ruth, and he said he would have beat Babe Ruth's record, you know, just kind of in an off comment of, oh, I I was just as a good hitter, and I knew him. Complete and utter bullshit. Here's why. Babe Ruth quit playing baseball in 1935. Jackie Robinson didn't start baseball until 1947. I'm sorry. I don't believe it. <laughs> okay. I am going to prove you wrong. Okay. Here's how. First of all, it is entirely possible, not even possible, likely that players in both leagues, we're talking about the major leagues and the then Negro leagues, were fully aware of each other. Okay. Okay. Also, it has actually been documented that on the offseason, Major League Baseball players would go play in other leagues that would include black players. Babe Ruth played with black players when he went to Cuba. Okay. He would go, they would go in the wintertime. A lot of them would go to the Caribbean and play ball. And he played with black players in Cuba uh, and a couple other places up in the East Coast. So it, could, it is entirely possible that they could have played together at some point. Uh-huh. But as far as official major league records go... But yeah, and maybe he would have had more home runs in the Negro League and that would have been There was another that. player... In the in the uh, in the Negro Leagues, who's probably one of the best well-known players from the Negro Leagues, a catcher named Josh Gibson, who some people would say he was the Babe Ruth of the Negro Leagues. But anyone mm. who n- kind of knows it, it's really Babe Ruth was the Josh Gibson of the Major Leagues because Josh Gibson, if you compare stats, Josh Gibson beats him. He hit almost 800 home runs in his career. 
which is more than the 714 that Babe Ruth hit. He hit, uh, I believe it was 60 home run, or 67 home runs in one season, which would have beat Babe Ruth and even Roger Maris' record later. He's probably a better player than Babe Ruth, but history being what it is. Yeah. So anyway, that's that. Yeah, nice little knowledge bomb. All right, so I'll take mine back. Take my comment back. (laughs) (laughs) And so we get a great little scene where he says, I'll trade you for the balls, and he gives them one signed by the entire 1927 Yankees, including Lou Gehrig and some other people I don't know. Uh, (laughs) Some other famous Yankees, I assume. Known as Murderer's Row, which was for a long time considered one of the best baseball teams ever put together. I don't know if I believe that, but they had one of the best years um, in baseball, but... They were known as Murderer's Row. So here we are pretty much at the end of the movie. We've got our goodbyes. They start telling how everybody goes off. Uh, one of the kids says he got really into the 60s, which you can only <laughs> imagine became a hippie and a druggie and no one ever saw him again. Right. It says Squints did end up marrying Wendy, so I guess that sexual assault was okay. Uh, <laughs> and they had nine kids. Nine. <laughs> Nine times. Nine times, yes. So they like getting it on. You notice a little bit more now than you did as a kid watching that movie. Right. And then we find out that Benny is in Major Leagues and he's playing for the Dodgers, which is the team that he had his hat. He he was wearing a Dodgers hat the entire time. And Smalls is back to wearing that stupid-ass Fisher's hat. (laughs) And... But he's either... he's He's a radio announcer calling the game. And Benny has this fun scene of stealing home uh smalls gets to call it and then they get a thumbs up at each other again and incidentally the guy who played older benny was the older brother of the person who played young benny oh i did not know that that's very cool so that there was a little bit of consistency in look i don't think the older brother ever acted in anything again well even the the young benny really stopped acting for i believe he's a firefighter out here in in southern california now oh okay he did look a lot like him just with a nice porn stash and that was that (laughs) but yeah i mean any final kind of thoughts that you had i thought the movie is still a lot of fun um if i watched it as an adult without watching it as a kid i don't know if it would hold up but the soundtrack is so good yeah uh it's such a lot of fun and like if, if, like you, I guess, where I think this movie would be strong is if I had kids and I could show it to them, and if they were into baseball, this would be the perfect movie. Well, and even, like, my kids at the time really, I mean, really kind of weren't into baseball. I mean, they knew what it was, but they loved the movie. My daughter, who at the time was probably three, still loved the movie. Mm-hmm. She really enjoyed it, which I was afraid that as at three, she was going to be a little bit scared of the beast. Mm-hmm. And maybe the first time she probably was a little bit, but the more they watched it, the more she loved it and she would quote it. <laughs> and my son loved it. And so I, obviously it still holds up the movie. It, the movie still looks good because it's set in a different time. It doesn't feel like 1992. It feels like the time it's supposed to be. A movie that's that's supposed to feel current but is anchored in a specific time sometimes doesn't hold up. Yeah. But the fact that the movie was already set in the past, I think, helps the fact that this movie will probably live on for a long, long time because you can always go back. Absolutely agree. Um, definitely a good a good one that uh, stays strong throughout time. Yeah, it's it's one of my favorites. One of the movies I quote probably almost daily in some capacity. <laughs> I'm sure I say something from this movie once, and it, it it holds up forever and ever. Yeah, forever, forever, ever. <laughs> so now let's go back to 1987, where you started the show Ducktales, starring Scrooge McDuck and his great nephews of Huey, Dewey, and Louie, and basically just get into a lot of cheeky adventures. Yeah, and it's I always found it to be interesting because it's, well, first of all, aren't they also, they're Donald Duck's nephews. Yeah, they're Donald Duck's nephews. They're not, so we have no idea who the father or the mother is. No, no clue. Yeah, Donald Duck's nephews, and Scrooge is Donald's uncle, so they're all kind of related, but... They might not be, but yeah. So they're kind of, they all know they're, they're through Donald, which mm-hmm. Donald makes a couple appearances in the show, but yeah, he's really just, you know, a side character. He's just mm-hmm. trying to, the thing that brings them all together. This show, rewatching it now, 
it sure as hell doesn't stand up for me. Like, it's not one that I really give a shit about anymore. It's okay, and if I had kids, I wouldn't wouldn't think twice about watching it, but it's not one that I would, like, want to willingly watch with them. It's just, it's an okay show. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for that theme song, I don't think it would last. <laughs> right. Like, the theme song is a lot of fun, and you just love it, and I just don't think we have theme songs like that anymore. Not as much. Life is like a That theme song was just so good, and then iconic thoughts of Scrooge swimming through his gold, but right. Scrooge is such a cheap asshole. <laughs> he's, he's a bit of a penny pincher, Yeah. even though I believe he's billed as a trillionaire. Oh, so wow. I believe that's what it is, but or maybe he's billionaire. It's hard to say. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, billionaire, billionaire would make more sense being a duck. <laughs> oh. <laughs> You're welcome. I'll be here all night. <laughs> I don't, you know what? I'll be honest. I thought it was okay. Now, I probably watch a lot more cartoons than you do now <laughs> because I have children. And I have started to show older cartoons to my kids. I don't know if I've shown them this one. Mm-hmm. I have shown them other ones, and they've definitely gotten into some of them. Some of them were once, they've gotten into ones I thought were unexpected. Like my son is obsessed with the Super Mario Brothers Super Show, which watching it now, I like that one less than I like yeah. DuckTales. Like I, okay. To me, DuckTales still holds up compared to Mario Super Mario Brothers Super Show. Yeah, but probably my, would. But <laughs> my son loves it. Okay. And he, I even got him into a, a, a sh- very short-lived series from the early 90s called Mummies Alive. Oh, I remember that. I loved Mummies Alive. Yeah. And so he watched that for a little bit, too. And I think it was only out for one season, so mm-hmm. there's not that many videos to watch. But um, it is kind of funny what they'll get her into. I don't know. I For me, I thought it was still fun. The animation was still good enough to be believable. Mm-hmm. It was probably another one of those things where you had to get a little bit farther into a season. Yeah. I, did, I watched an early episode and a later episode, and I definitely enjoyed the later episode more mm-hmm. when things are fleshed out. But I mean, that, that could almost be said for any series. I have the same way with The Simpsons. Yeah. And the first few seasons are okay, but you know, seasons four, five, and six is really when they hit their stride. Same with South Park for me. Yeah. That, that kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's not bad, but it's I guess it didn't live up to what I had in my head for it. Right. Uh, maybe I thought it was something better. You know, you get the Beagle Boys, which are kind of the main antagonists, which are just like the Stooges, basically, and right. they're kind of that type of dumb villain. In later episodes, you get further and further wackier and wackier, but I guess that happens with all shows, you know. Uh, Launchpad is was a big doofus, and I, right. I, did, I still like him, I guess, you know, and that that's fine. He was a good guy you get was it mrs beakley and webby who is the adorable daughter do- her granddaughter mm-hmm. who you know is the female presence and then you get gizmo duck who i remembered gizmo duck kind of being like he's like the the duck version of robocop if yes. you will <laughs> he looks cool the look keeps standing out like don't it- we see gizmo duck in another series later I can't remember. I thought maybe he that he shows up in Darkwing Duck, too. Yeah. Launchpad McQuack is also in Darkwing Duck. You know, I guess one of the good things about DuckTales is it helps spawn Darkwing Duck, which I actually, I think I l- may have liked better. It was probably it was a, a better bit, series. Yeah. It was, you know, a little bit more superhero-y. It's a little bit, you know, I was getting older and I kind of liked that stuff even better. So knowing that we have multiple universes, the Duck universe, in multiple cartoons that definitely brought me joy as a kid. <laughs> But Gizmo Duck definitely did look cool. I think he actually the look of him still stands out. Like he's he's pretty cool, half roboty kind of looking guy who mm-hmm. goes on this unicycle kind <laughs> unicycle of looking thing, which lo- looks like uncomfortable if he was actually if his legs are actually in there. Yes, <laughs> it looks uncomfortable. So they got some interesting characters, and, they, and those kind of characters come crazier and crazier later on in the series, which has only lasted, I think, three seasons, and it mm-hmm. spawned a movie, which I want to throw out. I love that movie, or I did as a kid. I right. didn't watch the movie. I think I would still like it, but probably because there is one line that <laughs> our sister and I, and, and at least or my sister and I, keep quoting, and we always yes. will quote, and it's, but the camels will be lonesome. And it came from that movie. 
And, and I don't know. It's really not that funny, but it's something about it. Like just spoke to you guys. And it's, it's not. A, and I and I went and I found just where the line is. And it's not like this overly stated. It's not like this any grand line that was like important at all. It was just kind of like thrown out. And it wasn't even thrown out in the way we say it. Right. But like it. it but that line is I've probably said so many times. Yes. To the point of nausea. For where DuckTales will always keep a part in my heart is that song, the fun imagery of swimming through gold, which makes no damn sense. I know. That just looks like it'd be painful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then spawning the movie that brought me, but the camels will be lonesome. Yes. Um, which I'm pretty sure you probably just said because every time you said it, it made our sister laugh. Yeah, that's very and, probably possible. And, and that was probably just what you're aiming to do. <laughs> the guy who voiced Scrooge McDuck the guy named Alan Young. And Alan Young is famous in our parents' generation for being Wilbur for Mr. Ed. Oh, yes. I've definitely seen some of those episodes just from, you know, old TV and whatnot. Yeah. Very cool. I uh, And I watched Mr. Ed quite a bit because when I was a kid, Nick at Night, mm-hmm. the channel, which only showed shows from like the 50s and 60s. And so I I got fairly well versed in some of the older shows because that's what they would show after Nickelodeon stopped. Before we had like 24-hour channels, Nickelodeon only went up till about 9 p.m. And then from 9 p.m. on, they had Nick at Night, which was just old shows from the oh, – mostly old black and white shows mm-hmm. from the 50s and 60s like uh, Donna Reed and F Troop and Dobie Gillis. And I'm sure I'm naming a whole bunch of stuff that anyone who's listening probably has no idea <laughs> unless they're over the age of 50. But I was a, I did watch a lot of those shows and was a big fan of them. It did kind of ring a little bit with me that Alan Young, who played Wilbur, was the guy who did Scrooge McDuck. And as I mentioned before, they're doing a brand new series of DuckTales, and the part of Scrooge McDuck is played by David Tennant. Oh, really? Nice. Who uh, Doctor Who fans will know. Or the Purple Man. Jessica Jones, yes. Which he was fantastic in. So that was DuckTales. Not bad, but not as amazing as I remember. Mm -hmm. And uh, with any luck, maybe this new one may not suck, (laughs) and the new Scrooge McDuck won't be such a cheap fuck. (laughs) All right, so now we're going to do the part where... We like to cast things. This is just kind of like a little a little thing, a little game that uh, my brother and I have played for years about imagine if this was a movie or if they, they redid an old movie with new actors, you know, what would it look like? And this is one I wanted to do because it's it's one I kind of, I, I, I grew to know a little bit as a, as a kid and uh, actually kind of more into as I was an adult, but I definitely was aware of it when I was a kid. And that's the superhero team from Marvel called Alpha Flight, which is kind of like the Canadian X-Men, if you will. I do remember my first introduction to them was in the old 90s X-Men cartoon which we'll probably cover on here at some point, but they do appear. And so you have you have about seven or eight characters who are kind of main characters in this whole series. The first one is called, actually has a couple different names. They, uh, they called him a couple of different things. He's, he was originally known as Guardian, and then they kind of changed his name to Vindicator, and then he came back as Guardian. But he's essentially, he's Captain America for Canada. His, his uniform is white and red with like a maple leaf sh- uh, shape on it. So he is kind of like the Captain Canada <laughs> without actually being Captain Canada. He looks cool. I mean, he's definitely just got a big leotard on with his kind of a, you know, a hood with it. I will say that, you know, I, I know comics pretty well, but I don't know Alpha Flight all that much. This is definitely something that you know better than I do. Um, so I kind of went on mostly look or just kind of like the brief little bit that I kind of know about them as sometimes that they would pop in on other series that I read much more. Right. And that's, and that's fair. So then we have Aurora and North Star, who I believe are siblings. Um, and they were kind of, they have kind of like a, a black outfit with like kind of like a white star on it. Then you have a shaman who is sort of the, what they, what in Canada they call first nation sort of native character. You have Sasquatch, which is kind of your Hulk character, if you will, your big strong one, um, snowbird. And then you have the two that weren't in the very, the very first showing of alpha flight in the comic books, which I believe is in 1979 just had those six guardian, Aurora, North star shaman, Sasquatch and snowbird. Then when they got their own series, they brought in two new characters 
who they, in the story, they say came up from Beta Flight, being the kind of the next group down, um, which were Puck and Marina. And so I did all of those. I believe, did you do all of them as well? Yeah, yeah. I, I have people for all of them. I know we've talked. This is something we've actually done a little bit before, mm-hmm. kind of talking about how we would do it. But let's go ahead and jump into it. And I, I want to start with Guardian, the main guy. My initial thought was I was going to do this. I was going to try to cast all Canadian actors. I, I thought something similar. <laughs> um, I didn't end up doing all Canadian actors, mm-hmm. but I did feel that you know somebody who is supposed to be representative of kind of Captain Canada should probably be Canadian. Yeah. And so I actually came up with two names, and one of them I also have for another one. It kind of depends on how it could end up. I tried to do the similar thing. You know, I kind of wanted to put some Canadians in there because this is such a well-known as the Canadian superhero team. So not having any Canadians I thought would be weird. So I tried to put ones where I thought would fit. Yeah. So we start out with Guardian. He is kind of the leader. And you need someone who has that presence. Now, I know for a fact, I would love for this to be in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but I know for a fact that Fox owns Alpha Flight. Mm. So if there was to be a movie, and there actually has been rumblings of one uh, earlier this year when Logan came out, there was rumblings that Fox was looking at the other properties they owned, um, which included Alpha Flight as possible movies. I don't know if they'll actually do it, I'd love for them to do it. I don't know if they actually will. So it's it's hard to say. I tried to I tried not to grab anyone from either universe. You know, not someone who's already played something in anything else. Okay, so that puts out this other big action Canadian, <laughs> Ryan Reynolds. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the person I did pick has actually already been in a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, but his part was cut out. Uh. And so I, I don't know if they're going to continue with him, but my initial pick for Guardian is Nathan Fillion. I have two names. One was Ryan Reynolds, but I circled Nathan Fillion as well. Yes. Yeah, I I think, you know, being the leader, you know, we've seen Nathan Fillion as the leader in Firefly. He's kind of a little bit older. He's got a, he can have a decent body, a decent build. I absolutely agree. I think like with someone who would lead the other team and he's Canadian, I definitely I that's exactly who I put as well. When I put I, I have a second pick hmm. who it was kind of in my head thinking well, if, if Nathan Fillion is too old for them and they wanted to go for someone younger, I went with someone who's might have been uh, might be unexpected just because it's not something you would see him do. But he is Canadian and he's a big star, and so that would be a big draw. And that was Ryan Gosling. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, I just I don't see him in that. He's just yeah. I, I don't I don't know. I w- it was not something I was completely sure of. Mm-hmm. I think Fillion would be able to fill the role better. Yeah. So as you know, as long as he can get himself into shape. Um, so then you have Aurora, who I believe is also Guardian's love interest. And for that one, I actually went with Catherine Winnick. Uh, anyone who's a fan of the TV show Vikings on the History Channel uh, will know because she plays Lagatha, the kind of. Uh, That's a great name. Sh- yeah. The shield maiden who's kind of like the the main, she's the sort of main female lead in that show. She plays a, a, a warrior Viking woman. So we already know that she can do the action stuff. And I, I just think it would be a good role for her. I, went, I didn't go Canadian with this one. I kind of went who with someone who I think I've mentioned to you before who I thought has like the right look for Aurora, and that would be Kate Mara. Oh, yes. Yeah, I think she definitely has, you know, kind of that small but tough look to her. She's done, uh, I think, some kind of war or action-y kind of stuff before, so I think she would be a good fit and just kind of mostly on look alone um, is kind of who I picked for Aurora. All right. I like that. I like that pick. Um, so then we come to North Star, who famously, uh, later on, most recently, well, like in the last few years, uh, Marvel had North Star get married, but in the comics, North Star is gay. Yes, to Changeling. Isn't it North Star and Changeling? Uh, yeah, oh, no, sorry, Hulkling. It's, no, it's uh, North Star and Hulkling. Yes. Uh, so there was a big thing where they had, uh, they had a, a wedding issue um, with North Star. And for this one, I'm not too sure of my picks. I actually put Ryan Gosling in this one in case I didn't mm. want him for Guardian. And the other one I picked for kind of goes for his look. I don't know for sure if I really like it, but I went with Kit Harrington. Oh, okay. Jon Snow. Yeah. Because uh, he does, he kind of fits the look a little bit. Yeah, if, if he shaves, absolutely. Well, yes, if he shaves, but. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's not a bad one. Kit Harrington. I mean, I'm sure he they're, they're actors, so I could imagine them 
getting rid of his British accent mm-hmm. uh, so he could sound Canadian. A lot of A's. That's what they do. And who was your North Star pick? Uh, so I had two different people. Uh, one was Tom Welling, who played Superman in the show Smallville. I thought he's got a really good look for it. And then I and then I also went Canadian as my other option, uh, <laughs> Taylor Kitsch. Okay. He's also Canadian. Yes. Taylor Kitsch, who is, oh, he plays Gambit. Uh, he's already in the universe. But I think he's got a really good look for it. And he's Canadian, so I kind of like, right. like that about him. So, um, so I kind of went with either of those. Okay. All right. Now for the next one that was, to me, needs to be cast correctly. It's a First Nation character. I, in my opinion, needs to be played by a First Nation or Native actor mm-hmm. who can really respect the role for what it is. Now, for me, in a perfect world, I would get Wes Studi, who was in Dances with Wolves, and I think he was in Last of the Mohicans. He's been in a, a few rel- relatively recent things, too, but he's a little bit older. Okay. But he's an incredible actor. If they wanted to go with someone younger, my next pick would be a guy named David Midthunder. He was actually in Transformers. Okay. Not the most recent Transformers, the one before that, but he was also in a show called Longmire. Oh, yeah, I've heard about that one. But he's also a, a great Native American actor who I think could totally pull off that particular role as shaman and who did you pick i i I agree that it's one you know i i would want to go to a native person and so i put adam beach uh, he played Slipknot in the Suicide Squad. You don't see him very much uh, because oh, he gets killed off very quickly. Yes, yes. But, yeah. but he gets killed um, off like within the first 10 minutes of seeing him. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of worthless in that in that movie. Uh, that whole movie was worthless. Uh, I think he's kind of could have the look, and I think it kind of would help stay true to it. All right, so now we move on to Sasquatch. I know he can transform, but I'm thinking more of his kind of his what would essentially probably be like the CG version, like what they've done with the Hulk. Um, and that, and, and my pick might be a little unconventional, but I think it'll, it would work. I actually picked Michael Ironside. Oh my God. I have two names written down and I put Michael Ironside <laughs> as one of them. I can't believe that because his voice, I just wanted, yes. because I was like, I need someone who could handle like a big gruff voice. Yes. I am shocked that you picked Michael Ironside, but I, I've been, I like, I love Michael Ironside, so I was like, I'm going to cast him in something. Yes. And it just, I wow, I'm really <laughs> surprised. <laughs> well, that's, and, uh, to me, I'm thinking of the voice. What, yeah. you know, what voice is, if is this big, you know, because Sas- Sasquatch, I, I, don't, I don't believe is like the Hulk and that the Hulk, you know, just kind of grunted for a while. He's very, he's still very articulate, mm-hmm. but, uh, it, you know, what kind of voice would I want? And I, you know, his voice would fit with my image of Sasquatch. Who is your other one? So my other one I put, I think is one that we've actually discussed discussed before, is Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Ah. Uh, I think he's overall a good actor. I think he could kind of, you know, he's got some gruff voice to him. Yes. And I think he would definitely kind of make it work. And he could, you know, if he had to have like the transforming back to the human, he'd be the better person. I He probably would be better for that. Not a 65-year-old Michael Ironside. I know. But... When I started thinking of like, well, this is probably going to be a all CGI character. What voice do I want? And then I, you know, I had I wrote down Michael Ironside just because I was like, you know, God, I, I want him in everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you kind of do. You want him in every. Even he's intimidating, even when he's the good guy. Yeah, <laughs> even when he's the good guy, he's intimidating. All right, uh, so now we have a few more. Uh, we have Snowbird, who I'm not going to lie, is not really a character I care all that much about. <laughs> I went with someone who the studios would probably pick because she's been in a lot of stuff recently, and it's Cara Delevingne, who uh, she plays the the enchantress in Suicide Squad. Um, she's in that new movie Valerian. Oh, she's the eyebr- eyebrows girl. Yes, the eyebrows girl. Yes, that's all I know her by is the eyebrows girl. Uh, so, who was your pick? I also just went on look. Um, I don't know really Snowbird at all, and so I just kind of went on who would match the look of a classic snowbird if you would um and i went with uh evan rachel wood who's okay been in, who's in westworld mm-hmm. um so she's pretty big right now but i just think you know she kind of has the the look of from from what i know yeah i could see that actually all right so next one is going to be one that you and i have actually debated before and that's puck yeah i'm sticking to my guns here john <laughs> <laughs> puck is definitely a little person yeah, uh, he's whether small. not whether or not he's <laughs> whether or not he's actually a little person in in that f- form. Yeah, but he is definitely a small person. 
Yes, of course. You know, I've seen, you know, the way that they do Gimli and Lord of the Rings to great effect with mm-hmm. with that. And uh, in the uh, Snow White and the Huntsman, the, the seven dwarves that show up were done this way. I actually have two. Kind of one sticking to my guns is saying that it should be played by a little person. Okay. And then one if uh, if they went if they went the sort of CG route perspective route. Mm-hmm. So my first one is a great actor named Martin Kleba. Mm-hmm. I think it's Kleba. It might be Kleba, but I think it's Kleba. For me, I most know him uh, from the TV show Scrubs. Yep. Uh, but he was also in all pretty much all of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. He plays the the small pirate. He's an intimidating looking guy. Yes. as well, and so that would kind of work well for like the strong, angry Puck. <laughs> right, and that's what and that's what Puck is. Is Puck? It's a he's got super strength and and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So if they decided that they wanted to go with the sort of CG route, where they kind of CG'd someone else into like a smaller body, I actually went with Luke Evans. Okay, wow. Who I think kind of looks the part, mm-hmm. at least in the face. Um, and he's definitely a good actor, so I think he could pull it off if they had to. Okay. Mine was the person that you told me you thought was a bad choice, and I'm sticking to it, is Jack Black. Uh, I think if – so Jack Black, if he drops some pounds and put on some muscle, you have to do some perspective work. But Puck is kind of this gruff but also very comical kind of character where he always seems to be spouting like these jokey lines, mm-hmm. I feel. And – you know, they're kind of that sarcastic-y kind of angry humor or whatever. Um, and I think Jack Black would be a good fit for it. I think if you could get him to buff up a little bit and, you know, work the CG or work the perspective for it, I think he would be a good call. All right. We're just going to have to agree to disagree yeah. on that one. <laughs> That's fine. All right. And the last one is, honestly, it's if they were going to get rid of any of the characters, it would probably be this last one. Um, and that's the character of Marina. Who kind of looks like not a sea monster, but sort of like a <laughs> sort of aquatic. She's got like big eyes, yes. yeah. uh, kind of webbed hands, that sort of thing. I thought just because the look and just because I think it would work well, and I think she's a good actress. For Marina, I actually went with Maisie Williams from Game of Thrones, some Arya Stark action. Okay, I could see that. Yeah, I think I like your call better than mine, honestly. So who'd you go with? I went with, I kind of, I know nothing about Marina. Yeah. Uh, I just, just from what I looked at. And so I kind of just went back to, I'm going to pick a Canadian. (laughs) Uh, So, and you know what? In my version of Alpha Flight, if I'm picking Nathan Fillion, who better to pick another Canadian along with him than Jewel State, who starred alongside him in Firefly as Kaylee. Ah, okay. So, but she's also Canadian. And so I'm like, all right, that just kind of fits. Okay. Yeah, but I think Maisie Williams actually has a better look to it, mm-hmm. uh, and she kind of has, you know, kind of a bit more of that youth, which I think fits with just from what I've seen of Marina. Yeah. So that is our casting of Alpha Flight. That concludes this episode of the Blast From Our Past podcast. Please join us next time, where we review the Blues Brothers, the A-Team, and also recast the A-Team. And please leave us a review on iTunes. If you have any questions or any suggestions for movies or TV shows you'd like for us to review as part of your childhood, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at at blastpastcast. That's at blastpastcast on both Facebook and Twitter. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time.